A podcast about product management, user experience design, technology, and more. This is Product by Design. All right, welcome back to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle Evans, and today we have an interesting episode. So usually I would have Eva, my co-host with us, but she is in the throes of wedding planning along with product launches and uh, many other things. So it is just me today, but do not worry. Have some guests that we are getting lined up. So we've had some, some awesome guests over the past couple episodes. So if you haven't checked those out, uh, go back and take a listen to some of the previous episodes that we've had. We've had some, some awesome discussions and we have some awesome ones coming up. So I am very, very excited about that. So stay tuned. Um, and of course, uh, look forward to have having Eva back soon as well. But today, Got an interesting and hopefully fun episode, uh, kind of a grab bag of questions and thoughts on a variety of topics. So no one specific topic, but you know we have questions that come in from time to time that we get asked uh, in uh, in our roles uh, on this podcast, just in various uh, forums. You know whether it's on Twitter. Or other places. And so uh, this is today is going to be this episode is going to be kind of a grab bag of questions and thoughts and discussions. So if you have thoughts or questions uh, you want to uh, chat about, uh, hit us up on the social medias. Best place is probably on Twitter. You can find me at Kyle Larry Evans. Uh, you can also find Eva on Twitter. And you can find our uh, product by design, uh, which I believe is prod underscore by underscore design. Uh, I'll double check that, but I'm I'm fairly confident that that is our Twitter handle on on the Twitter verse. Uh, let me. I'm just checking that right now, so you can tell uh, how. How often? Yes. Okay. So it is prod by design with some underscores in there. So you can hit us up there uh, and we'll have our our uh, social media intern, which is also myself, responding back to you and checking that out. So uh, first item for discussion, first question is, is a fun one. How much do you focus on your competitors? So this is a great question uh, and an interesting topic because a lot of us are in you know, a variety of different spaces when it comes to competition and competitors. So the answer really depends on where you are, both as far as industry goes, as far as your company goes. And you know, for me, I think the first thing is it's important to understand your competition to varying degrees, you know, depending on where you are 
you know, within your company, where your company is within the market, you know, where your industry is, but not to be defined by your competition. So uh, with that, you know, there's a couple things that come to mind with this topic. So first off, I think it, I do think it is important to understand your competition. Uh, you know, I don't think any of us can turn a, a blind eye to our competition. Uh, but with that, it's important to understand it may not always be who you think it is. So it's easy to look out at competition and define that as other companies just like you. You know, so that's like the very easiest definition of competition. You know, when we think of, you know, some of the big technology companies, uh, you know, it's easy to think of their competition as the other companies, you know, within their exact same space doing very similar things. So when we think about Facebook, you know, Facebook's competition is other social media platforms, you know, so things like uh, Twitter or TikTok or, you know, some other you know, some of the, the nascent social media, uh, platforms as well, potentially, but you know, what else is there for, you know, that Facebook is competing with, you know, it's certainly competing with other platforms as well. So, you know, Apple and Facebook are constantly competing in a variety of different areas. Uh, you know, Facebook is, competing uh, in not just social media, but also in ads and attention. And so that kind of opens up the scope for, you know, the competitor, the competitors and the competitive landscape. You know, we, we mentioned TikTok there for a second. Uh, TikTok is a super fascinating uh, company. And when, when you think about TikTok and all the companies that it is a competitor with. It just becomes absolutely fascinating because it's not just a social media uh, platform, but it is competing for the attention of so many different groups and so many different users. And that puts it in direct competition with just about everybody. So not just Facebook and other social media platforms, but competing with you know, YouTube, uh, competing with Netflix, comp competing with you know you know possibly games and and other things, so you know those are all ways to look at competition. So you know that's kind of the first thing is understand the competition, who it is. It may not always be who you think it is, uh, you know, and it doesn't always have to just be technology either. So you know when it comes to you know Facebook again, the sports, uh, and, and I'm not talking about watching sports, but I'm talking about like actually playing sports, you know, doing stuff outside, going hiking or, or biking, like actually taking time away from technology is a direct competition to Facebook who wants your attention and time. And so doing things outside of their platform is a, is a competitor. So, you know, how can they get you to spend time on their platform? And anything that kind of takes away from that is is competition. So understanding, uh, two, you know, it, it's understanding your users and your problems. So, you know, I think it's important to understand your competition, but it's, it's even more important to understand your users and their problems. And, you know, going back to the second part of what I said at the very beginning, uh, you can't be defined by your competition. You really need to be 
to find much more about what is the problem that you're trying to solve, either as a product, as a feature within a product, or as an organization, as a company, as a business. So that starts with understanding the users that you are serving, the problems that they have, and how it is that you are solving those problems. If you're only focused on competitors and features, uh, then you really lose sight of you know what it is that the problem you're solving truly is. And you know we've seen so many examples of that where you know companies just get focused on competition instead of you know what is the real problem to solve. You know we talked about this on a podcast episode uh, you know not that long ago, the proliferation of stories across applications. So, you know, Snapchat came out with the idea of stories, these ephemeral posts that disappear after a period of time, usually 24 hours. Very cool idea. And then other people looked at that and started copying it. And, you know, that can make sense for different users of other products. And I think it does make sense you know, in other places. So, you know, a place like Instagram, a place like Twitter, um, it doesn't make sense in, in every context though. Again, I've said it so many times where I'm looking at you, LinkedIn, I stories, you know, disappearing posts, um, just, it's a, it's an interesting thing where you get kind of this me too feature creation and you kind of lose sight of you know your users and the problems that you're solving for and really you get focused on competition the features that they're building and that's how we end up with stories everywhere and it, it can be unfortunate um you know again i we saw twitter take away fleets recently which is unfortunate because i think that it was a uh, it, it made sense there you know but again i wrote about it in uh, product thinking, my newsletter. So you can go check out some thoughts there on killing features was the name of that post. So I will link to it in the show notes. Uh, but you know, it that made sense for for Twitter to kill that feature uh, because you know they were focusing on the the main things that they're solving for their users. And while stories or fleets for Twitter may have made sense in some ways. You know, they are more focused on what is making more sense for people using Twitter right now, uh, which happens to be uh, social audio rooms. So that was the second thing. So, you know, understand your competition. Don't be defined by it. You know, understand your users and their problems more, Uh, you know, but do leverage ideas from competitors and anywhere else that makes sense in order to solve those problems for your users. So, you know, you don't necessarily have to reinvent things in order to solve problems. So this goes back to uh, some of the heuristics of good usability and design. So you can go over to uh, the Nielsen Norman Group, uh, which has the 10 uh, heuristics for usability. And we did, of course, a podcast episode about this quite a while ago, actually. Uh, the 10 heuristics for uh, good UX. And, uh, you know, check that one out if you haven't listened to it. But principle four for usability 
is consistency and standards, which really boils down to if there are patterns people are familiar with, you can use them and you should use them. You know, don't break them simply for the sake of being different. So leveraging ideas from competitors or from anywhere else in the world that makes sense to solve problems is a good idea. If somebody has solved something in a really good way that makes sense, you know, you can leverage those ideas, you know, take a similar uh, thought and use that to create a solution for your users. Now, that's not to say that you should wholesale uh, copy what other people have done and, you know, pass that off as your own. But that is to say that you can take inspiration and use uh, what other people use the solutions that other people have implemented and take the inspiration from that and use it to solve the problems for you, your users in a unique way that makes sense for them and for your business. So, uh, you know, this has come up in the work that we've been doing that I've been doing, uh, frequently. So, you know, I've been in a, a variety of different uh, businesses and industries over my career. So I started in uh, a highly competitive uh, industry where, uh, you know, it was one of the top uh, financial firms uh, within the industry. Uh, everybody would be familiar with it. Uh, but, you know, we were in a highly competitive area uh, where I was working to the point where I had actually built out some tools to alert us uh, within our product area if any of our competitors was making any changes to their products so that you know we were up to the minute up to date with changes happening among our competition that's how uh, intense it was because we literally had to know if if anything was happening in order to be able to react to it so you know that was the the level of competition that that was happening because I mean we were talking you know hundreds of millions of dollars at stake if you know we weren't able to make adjustments real time to things that were happening you know I went from there to a, an educational institution that was you know really at the forefront of what they were doing and you know there was certainly competition within the higher education space but nobody really doing anything like we were doing. And so, you know, that put us out in front and nobody doing it at the scale we were doing it. We were the, the largest and, you know, one of the only do only universities, uh, doing what we were doing. And so that, you know, really put us in a league of our own. And so competition, though, there's always competition was a lot different. You know, I did not spend a ton of time looking at direct competitors. You know, we we did spend time looking at the market, looking at the industry, looking at what other people were doing, but I did not spend a lot of time looking at our competition. And you know, we we just we didn't need to. I didn't need to do that in that role. Uh you know, then from there moved to another role within uh, the healthcare industry uh where you know, again, we were one of the top uh, HSA companies in the industry. And, you know, we stayed in touch with what other HSA companies were doing and, you know, understood it. But again, it was more for 
you know, some of that general understanding. We didn't have to be incredibly reactive to, you know, what our competition was doing because, you know, we were a leader in the market. And so it was more about, you know, driving that forward. What else could we do to continue to be a leader? So, uh, and then from there, you know, moved into kind of our, my current role where we are a, you know, one of the leaders, but, you know, it is a very competitive landscape, you know, with, within the industry that we're in. And so looking closely at what our competitors are doing, not to copy them, but to understand what they're, you know, what they are doing, where their strengths and weaknesses are and where ours are. And, you know, just to have that understanding to, you know, see how they are solving problems, how we're solving problems, what the differences are, and, you know, be very, very in tune to that because it is, you know, not uh, the same type of industry where it's, you know, super cutthroat and we have to know everything down to the minute. And also not the type of industry where, you know, we can't not pay attention to what other people are doing because, you know, we're such a market leader. You know, we are, you know, one of the top companies, but we are among other top companies as well. And so we have to be very, we, we still have to pay attention, but we're not going to be defined by our competitors. So, you know, it comes back again to understanding your company, understanding your industry, understanding your product. And then from there, understanding your competition, but not letting it define you. And then leveraging that to help drive you forward, but really letting your users and their problems uh, be the defining thing that uh, drives your business and your product forward. All right, next question. How much will certifications help me? Now, in product and design, I can speak um, probably more to the product management side, though, you know, as a hiring manager, I have definitely hired uh, a my fair share of uh, UX designers into our teams. But, you know, what we care about most is being able to do things. So, you know, that's really what any team and any hiring manager cares about is that you as a candidate or you as a product manager or you as a UX designer are able to do the things that the team needs you to do, that the company needs you to do, that they as the hiring manager are hiring you to do. So how much will a certification uh, help you? as specifically as a product manager. Let's just take that as an example here. So I think that it really depends. Depends on a lot of things. You know, there's multiple uh, schools of thought, I think, when it comes to these. You know, if there is somebody trying to sell you a product manager certification, they will tell you certainly that you have to have it or that it will help you a great deal. Uh, And there is the other extreme of people (laughs) who you won't find a shortage of them, who will tell you that all of them are absolute garbage, that, you know, certifications or credentials or anything like that for product management are pointless and useless and don't waste your time or money uh, because you don't need them. 
I don't know that either of those extremes are necessarily always correct. So, you know, I think that it ultimately depends. Um, so I think you need to ask yourself a few questions. Uh, so first off, uh, what are you trying to accomplish uh, with a certification in product management? You know, there's lots of different companies and organizations that are offering, you know, classes and certifications in product management, uh, product ownership, which is different than product management. So we'll make that clarification. But, uh, you know, a lot of companies treat those things as very similar or the same. Uh, which they shouldn't, but we won't get onto that tangent right now. So what are you trying to accomplish with it? Now, uh, certifications can be a good baseline and a good foundation for uh, helping to do a lot of different things. Uh, so, you know, just depending on what you're trying to accomplish, uh, that could be a good starting point or a good foundation or a good thing to build some experience off of or some confidence with or help you, you know, get in the door or, you know, make some transition or, you know, do something else. So understanding what it is that you're trying to accomplish is important. Um, remembering, keeping in mind that it is about being able to do things that certifications by themselves, you know, just being able to, to call out that you are certified in product management, uh, it is, you know, that in itself is probably not going to matter to, uh, most people in the field. It may, you know, you may see that in, in applications or, or job postings or things like that, that, um, you know, some recruiter, uh, has listed that as a thing uh, but once you start to get into the field, you know, that starts to go away quite quickly. So understanding that, you know, that alone isn't going to be very helpful without more to it. So, uh, you know, next, is it, you know, understanding what you're trying to accomplish? And then is it the the actual knowledge or the recognition or, you know, something else? Uh, and then understanding uh, how that will help you. So, you know, getting, like I was saying, that foundational knowledge through some sort of certification or some sort of training program could be really, really beneficial if you're trying to transition into product management or you're laying the foundation for your skills in order to you know, become a better product manager or, you know, trying to get product management established at your company, your organization or whatever it is. So, uh, your own personal knowledge and growth, you know, there may be a lot of benefit there in helping you become a better product manager, you know, if that's something that you're looking for. Or is it more about, you know, having it and that recognition and, you know, getting uh, your foot in the door in some way? If that's the case, you know, understanding that and making sure that it's the right choice because, uh, you know, that may be, that may work in some areas and not in others. So, you know, there are a lot of companies and, and hiring managers and teams who may not look at any sort of, uh, product management certification as important in any way. So if you're just looking, uh, at a certification or a training or a class as a way, you know, as something to put on your resume in order to break in, you know, somewhere, that may not be necessarily the best way to do it. And so, you know, talking to uh, people uh, at, you know, maybe the companies that you're interested in or the teams that you're interested in and understanding if that's something they value 
or not. And if it is, you know, that may be a valuable thing to do. You know, they may um, highly value or ascribe to a certain philosophy that, you know, certain organizations or companies teach and, and, you know, do certifications in. If that's the case, doing that certification and training may be really beneficial so that you can speak that language and have that understanding and go in and talk with them in the same way uh, if, if you're not familiar with it. Uh, so, you know, understanding what you're trying to accomplish um, and then, you know, is it the knowledge or is it the recognition? And if it's more on the side of the recognition, understanding if that's the right path for you, and then figuring out the best way to get there. You know, is it a, you know, one of the certifications uh, out there or, you know, are there other ways to do it? Can you gain the knowledge through, you know, different means? You know, we can all gain uh, knowledge through different ways of doing things. And, you know, always going back to that main point of, you know, product and design are really about being able to do things, accomplish things and show that. And so are there other ways of getting there? Uh, you know, it, it, I think one of the, uh, the problems that, uh, you know, the, the extreme that says that, you know, certifications are all garbage and, and, you know, don't waste your time is that, you know, it, it could be a lot easier to, you know, go out and, and do a training and, and, you know, pass a course and put that on your resume, then actually go out and build something and show that you've accomplished it. And so picking which of those two paths you want to go down and, and then actually going down that. So what's the best way to get to the goal that you want to achieve? Is it going through a certification or is it actually going out and building something? And, you know, I'd say in most cases going out and actually building something is probably going to be your best bet. Uh, you know, so just figuring out what is the best way to get to the goal that you have. Is it through, you know, certifications or is it through some other way? So it's not to say that, uh, you know, certifications or training programs or whatever it is are, are bad. You just need to understand what it is that you are trying to accomplish with it. Um, you know, why you're doing it. Uh, are you targeting, you know, specific, uh, companies or teams? Uh, is that the best way to do it? And, you know, what is the best way to achieve the goal that you are trying to get? Uh, so that is my take on how much certifications will help you. I know I've talked about this in the past, but uh, it's a good topic. It's come up and, you know, we had uh, Rachel Larson on uh, one of our podcasts uh, earlier this year. Great conversation. Uh, the head of uh, learning, I believe, at product school. So great organization um, with uh, within the product management community. So one of those that uh, does offer the product management training and working hard to bring up the skills of product managers. So uh, definitely not knocking on the certification programs and trainings at all, but uh, making sure that you understand what it is that you're doing, why you're doing it, and uh, the best way to get there. So definitely could be a uh, potentially a great path, especially for you know younger uh, product managers or people trying to transition into the field. Uh, but just understand the the why behind it. So that is uh, some thoughts there. All right. Next question: How do you deal with timelines from stakeholders? Holy cow! All right, let's tackle this one. This is the perennially difficult question that uh, comes up frequently. And 
is it's never an easy one. And this is uh, probably something that every product manager faces uh, all the time. And how do we deal with it? Uh, if you have thoughts, would love to hear some of your thoughts as well and how you deal with it and you know some of the the strategies that that you have and approaches that you take and frameworks that you use. Definitely not a one size fits all uh, problem that we have to solve, but it is something that we all face all the time to varying degrees. So it it really depends on your one, your organization in in a lot of ways. And you know what is the culture of your organization? Is it you know very uh, driven by uh, dates and project management, or is it more focused on uh, you know product? Is it more of a a product led organization? You know focused on the the, the outcomes that you're trying to drive, uh, or you know the the most likely some some mix of those, depending on. Uh, you know, what is most important. And, and we probably all experience that at some point where we try to be very outcome driven, but at some point, you know, we become very, very date driven. And I wrote a little while ago, uh, probably one of my favorite articles of all time, uh, project thinking versus product thinking. I'll put a link to that in the show notes on the different mindsets of, uh, of this. So, uh, and and how we deal with it, and it it really that article uh, came from this very problem. You know how how do we think about uh, the these two different mindsets, the the project mindset and the product mindset, and especially when they are in conflict. So uh, you know, and this is actually something that um, you know came up recently. So I'll, I'll give an example, but um, you know, kind of the framework, a broad framework that uh, we have used and I've used is, you know, start out, you know, first off by understanding the why behind the timeline or the deadline with the stakeholders that you are working with. Uh, You know, that is uh, a good, you know, just a good way to start any uh, problem. Start with any problem is understand why, uh, you know, there is a timeline or deadline behind something. And, you know, a lot of times it can be, you know, just that, you know, we want to, you know, have some accountability. I've heard that so many times is, you know, we want to, to drive the accountability and, you know, we want to make sure that we're getting things done. Uh, or, you know, there may be other reasons for it, you know, uh, there may be some sort of uh, plan and, you know, there may be multiple pieces of it or, you know, a variety of other reasons. Um, you know, there may be some sort of upcoming, a conference or something, and, and you know, we as as a company want to announce uh, this new feature at our conference, and so you know, we need to have it uh, done and tested before that, so that we can announce it and you'll be able to show it or, or that sort of thing. So, understanding the why behind a timeline or a deadline from stakeholders or from uh, from your business so important, and then being transparent about. Uh, the, you know, uh, some of the difficulties or the constraints or the options. So, uh, you know, once, you know, there, that there's that understanding, um, you know, having the discussion and being transparent about why that either may be, might be difficult or, uh, some of the constraints as to, you know, what, uh, may make that, uh, a, an impossible, 
uh, timeline to hit or, you know, the concerns or risks or, or things like that. And just having that conversation. And then, uh, and this is, of course, is just, you know, kind of a general framework, but then, uh, getting skin in the game so that the, you know, the stakeholders aren't kind of putting the onus onto a team to say, you know, here's what I want. Here's the timeline I want it. And I'm going to walk away and expect it to be delivered. That's an easy thing. Uh, it becomes much more of a collaborative effort when everybody has some skin in the game. And, uh, you know, we've, you know, once we've underst- understood why we're transparent about things and then, you know, they get to have some skin in the game too, as to what it will take to actually accomplish something like that. Um, and oftentimes that may be that, you know, have to make some difficult trade-offs as to what it will take to do something like that. And, uh, you know, ex- executive A may have three things that they have, that they are, are looking to have done, but, you know, they may have to pick one. And so all of a sudden it becomes very real. You know, they now have uh, a stake in this and, you know, they need to pick between those things and, and it can't be all of them. They have to de- decide what is the most important if we can only do one of them. So, you know, understanding, being transparent and, and you know, making sure everybody's invested in what is happening and not just uh, putting demands on the team. So, uh, you know, this happened uh, to one of uh, one of our teams. We got handed a timeline from a stakeholder, and uh, we we did just this, where we approached them to understand uh, why uh, why this timeline, you know, why it was uh, you know on a certain date, things needed to be done, and and just to understand better. And we learned that this uh, timeline came from an important customer, uh, as as t- many timelines often do. So uh, we continue to dive deeper, not being satisfied with, you know, uh, important customer wants, you know, s- such and such thing by such and such time. So we went to the customer to understand better, sat down with them and, you know, discussed, uh, you know, what they were talking about in the timeline. We learned from them and this is just awesome that they literally just picked a date, uh, an arbitrary date to, to just to have a date out there. It did not matter to them this specific date. They had just picked one. Uh, and so it was like, oh my goodness, we could have, uh, we literally could have gone down this road of literally everybody killing themselves over, you know, getting something done for an important customer. Uh, over an arbitrary date. And so, you know, in this discussion, we also were uh, able to be transparent about, you know, different constraints and options and actually dive deeper into, you know, some of the the problems that they were trying to solve and how we could go about solving them. So not just, you know, getting requests from a customer and a date along with it and then go out and do it, but actually, you know, figure out what it is that we're trying to do and, you know, discuss different constraints and options so that we can actually put together a meaningful, good solution. And then, you know, getting everybody with some, you know, some investment in this, some skin in the game to, you know, decide if you, you know, if you had to pick between all of these things that are happening right now, like what is the most important, you know, just saying that, you know, we can't, if we can't do all of these things, you know, what would you say comes first and what comes after? And, you know, not necessarily allowing other people to do the prioritization for you, 
because uh, I don't I don't think that that is a good plan in general to outsource your prioritization to customers or to stakeholders. Um, that is your job as a product manager and as a product team. But to get that input so that uh, you have an understanding of you know if they have to put things in a certain order, uh, you know where are they putting their investment? You know where would they say what comes first, what comes second, and you know what would what would they push off if they absolutely had to? And so um, doing that, it, it really one was obviously very very helpful because you know we weren't stuck with any sort of arbitrary timeline, but also it became a much more meaningful conversation and discussion uh, than, you know, simply being handed things. So that is, you know, just one example of dealing with timelines from stakeholders and customers. Obviously, it doesn't always turn out exactly like that, but, you know, really getting to the heart of understanding why, being transparent, and, you know, getting everybody invested, and, you know, getting some skin in the game so that, it is not just about the you know the team and what they're doing but you know everybody has something on the line uh so yeah dealing with timelines from stakeholders so another uh somewhat interesting one on customer advisory boards so this one came up recently uh on doing customer advisory boards so we've done a number of these in a variety of different ways in the past. And, you know, this, all of these questions probably deserve, you know, maybe like a full episode and, and, you know, somebody else to come in and kind of bounce around some ideas and, and discussion and whatnot. So, you know, don't be surprised if we, if we peel some of these questions out and, you know, do some more in-depth discussion, because I think that would be interesting, but, uh, customer advisory boards, uh, Super interesting. If if you haven't done them, the concept is basically, you know, asking uh, a group of customers to be like an advisory board, basically, like the name says, for a period of time, uh, usually like a year, uh, and you will meet with them a, a couple times during that year. Uh, what we've usually done is, you know, send out um, some questions or discussion points or things like that prior to the meetings. And then everybody gets together and we have, you know, some discussions on, you know, what's going on in the market, uh, what's going on with uh, the product and our company, and, you know, just really get some ideas around the, you know, direction overall for, you know, the industry, for the businesses, um, for our company, things like that. So our customer advisory boards, um, important, and should we do one? I think the answer to that is it depends, <laughs> uh, kind of a recurring theme. And I think understanding uh, a couple different things with your customer advisory board is is really important. So first off, um, and, and I'll just caveat, caveat that with, uh, you, we have, and, and right now we're kind of in this boat where uh, we have, uh, with my current company, you know, we have one uh, division, I guess, or one company within our company that uh, does them and and they work really well. And we have 
the the other another division or company within our umbrella of companies uh, that I'm more focused on, uh, where they have not really worked as well for a variety of reasons. And so, you know, we've used other methods to, uh, to you know, to kind of get feedback and uh, to have, you know, interactions and discussions with customers and things like that. And that has worked much better. And so there's not a one size fits all, you know, if you're having customer advisory boards and they work well, uh, awesome. If not, uh, and, you know, or if, if it's something that doesn't fit with your, uh, either with your company or your customers, um, you know, that isn't necessarily something that you need to force. And, you know, in other companies as well, uh, you know, we've, we've had similar experiences where we've, we've both done them and have not done them and done other things. And it really just depends on, you know, the industry you're in, your company, your customers, and a variety of things. So, uh, you know, I would ask a couple questions, uh, in, you know, setting it up, like first off, what is the purpose of your cab or customer advisory board? I'll call it cab from now on just to stop repeating uh, customer advisory board over and over. So what is the purpose of your cab? Uh, is it to, uh, you know, gather information? Uh, is it to, uh, you know, help make, you know, product decisions, uh, to make industry decisions, you know, to get feedback, to, uh, keep a pulse on the market. Those are all really good things. And, uh, you know, just to have, really have a good understanding of what it is that you're trying to accomplish within the framework of your cap, because, uh, you know, you're not going to be using it to get a ton of, you know, specific feedback all the time, because it's, it really is more of a, like a once a quarter meeting, you know, during the year. So it's not the time that you're going to be like getting in-depth feedback, you know, hands-on type things. It's, it's much more higher level than that. So really understanding the purpose, setting the framework for that, uh, so that it can be a productive thing. And then who, the next thing is, who do you have on the cab? So, you know, who are the customers that you're going to have in there? Uh, if it's, you know, a very general one for your entire company, you're making sure you get a good cross section of your users and customers so that you're getting a good amount of feedback. Um, another thing that, that we found and we've talked about is making sure that you get the right people in there who have the right level of engagement. Um, you know, a it is usually not as successful if you don't get uh, customers who aren't willing to be really engaged in the process and you know help have discussion and help give you know thoughts on you know what their their problems are, what's going on in the industry, uh, things like that. So, who you want to have in there? And at what level within their organizations um, do you need them to be at? You know, much more senior people, um, you know, more working within, you know, the day-to-day operations. Um, does it need to be segmented? Are you, you know, really focused on a specific area within the industry or within a specific segment of your customers or user base? So who do you have on that board? And then finally, how do you structure the discussion to get good feedback? on, you know, both what you're doing as a company, as you know, within your product, as well as just what's going on in the industry. So it really shouldn't be uh, necessarily like a, a user feedback session 
um, because there are more productive ways to do that sort of thing. Uh, so, you know, making sure that you structure the discussion and you know, some of the, you know, maybe pre-work or the questions that you send out beforehand to, you know, get the right level of feedback, the right conversation going, uh, you know, have the right dynamic within uh, that discussion. So, you know, those are all some important considerations to to have. And obviously, you know, a cab is, it's a, it can be an interesting selling feature. So um, not that you go out and, you know, anybody who signs up gets to be part of the advisory board going forward. But, you know, many uh, large organizations are, are interested, you know, especially at the enterprise level, um, that in, you know, helping to have those, those broader conversations. So the fact that you have an advisory board, and I know one of our uh, rules for, uh, for ours is that, uh, you know, no new customers and no, uh, who, especially that are going through the setup and integration and, and things like that. So you have to have, you know, be set up, have been with the, the company for a while. And then also, you know, it's not something that like you can buy your way into or something like that. So, um, it's kind of an invitation thing, but the fact that it's there, and, you know, it's getting, you know, consistent feedback. That's, uh, that's something that people value is being able to give advice and advise on products that they care about. So, uh, having that opportunity to, to do something like that. So, uh, that can be an important thing for, you know, some organizations and some companies. Um, so yeah, important things to consider, uh, with customer advisory boards, with cabs, good things. Not necessarily the end-all be-all though. So obviously you should be getting lots of feedback from lots of different avenues and not all customer bases uh, are, are, are good ones for uh, cabs or customer advisory boards. So there are those that uh, are more, you know, maybe more hands-off or not as centralized. Um, and, you know, that's what we experience in, you know, kind of the, the area that I work in right now. It is, uh, you know, less... Uh, centralized and you know less set up well for a very formalized cab uh so that is something that you know we have found and i've worked in other companies and organizations as well where that's the case too and so uh you know less formal settings have tended to yield uh, better results as far as feedback and discussion go so finding what works for you and finding the way to get those, uh, the customer feedback, the discussion, um, you know, some of the industry and market, uh, sentiment that is important for you to do your job. So just knowing that there are lots of tools that you can use and finding the right ones in order to get the information that you need, that probably the most important thing. And a customer advisory board is one of those things. It's not the only one. So a uh, final question here. Uh, for today, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll see how how well uh, this episode, how well you've liked this episode. Uh, it's been fun for me, so you know maybe we'll do some more grab bags in the future and just answer questions and kind of bounce from topic to topic. It, it's kind of a fun format. Um, how do you work with UX and development on discovery work? Oh man, this is. Uh, this is such a good one. And this, this, uh, came up very specifically recently. So top of mind for me, but, um, love this question and I've seen it done both really, really poorly and really, really well. 
So let me give you a, a, a really bad example. This is probably one that many of us are familiar with. So product writes up uh, requirements, hands them to UX. UX creates the mockups and designs and everything gets them finalized, hands them over to engineering. Engineering then with the final mockups and requirements uh, goes and builds it and then comes back once it is finished and says, hey, it is finished. And then uh, we deliver it to customers. Now that is the bad example. And I've seen that. And oh my goodness, um, please, please don't do it that way. It it never ends well um, for, for anybody. A much better way is for, for product and UX and the business and everybody to work together on the discovery and and let me give you an example of 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 what what we do now and obviously this isn't this isn't perfect um but how we work uh together right now is that we in fact do as you know product and ux and engineering and and business so that's you know sales and marketing and and our counterparts across the organization we work together to discover problems wherever they they might be and really, you know, gain that deep understanding. And I do think that the primary responsibility for that lies with product management, though not the sole responsibility. And then uh, product goes out and gathers the information, you know, dives deeper into the problem to get a, a good understanding of, you know, what is that problem? Um, you know, see it in action, see how users are either trying to solve it or are unable to solve it currently. And then we come back together as a team and have an initial meeting, product, UX, and engineering, and discuss the problem. You know, here's what it is, and really flesh out ideas. And, you know, just talk about, okay, here's what we've seen, here's the problem. And and you know, this is usually without, you know, uh, we we, you know, we may have some, just some rough mock-ups and, and things like that, but we're just talking really about like problem, like, okay, here's, uh, here's what we're seeing. And then we come up with like lots of questions, like, okay, here's, here's some additional questions we may not have thought of. Like, here's some considerations that we need. We take a whole bunch of notes and then, you know, we take all of those away and we work to answer those questions. So, you know, that may that may involve some more discovery work, or that may involve some prototyping, or that may involve um, some proof of concept on engineering, or, or like some some risk analysis, or things like that, or some data. Like we may need to find some data and, and bring all of that back. So we do all of those things, and then we start to we we come back together frequently to to bring those answers back that, okay, yeah, we've answered these questions. We've looked at the data, you know, we've put together some potential mock-ups, you know, we've, we've done some prototyping. Uh, we've, we've looked at it with a, you know, a few users. We've asked these questions that we had in the original one. Uh, we've maybe even put together like just a, a, a rough proof of concept to, to actually show that technically we could achieve something like this. And once we start to answer those questions together as a team, then we start moving forward more. We start to actually put together maybe some higher fidelity mock-ups and maybe some more prototypes and work together to refine each of those things. Once we've started to, to answer the questions, to address some of the risks, to share our knowledge, 
and iterate from there to to the point where we have you know maybe some some really good idea of where we're going to go and then we start to to look at you know maybe some phases that we could start to attack it in um you know what do we want to approach first how could we get this into the hands of users uh early to to test out some of these things and then you know, we will uh our ux team will start to create the ux around that you know the designs and the flow and everything and then you know, we may answer some more product questions get some more feedback and start to pull all of that together so it's a it's a it's an amazing, fun, messy process, much more than, you know, the writing of requirements, which I, I just, I really don't like the, the, the word requirements or the, like the phrase, especially early in the process, because it just, it doesn't allow for much room of discussion and debate or things like that. And so I, I always shy away from their the word requirements just because I think it's just too loaded, but we have all of this kind of messiness flowing together as we have this shared understanding building of, you know, what is the problem that we're solving? What are the different ways that we can solve it? What are the questions we need to answer? And we build that up together as a team. And you know, we, we start to see the solution come together, start to test out some of our assumptions and then start to phase Look at the different phases that we could bring it in. We don't want to build something necessarily complete and then get that out. We want to say, okay, can we, what is the uh, the simplest, best version that we could build first? And I'm thinking of a few different things that we've been working on. Um, how can we kind of piece this, not to put out a crappy first version, but what is a chunk of this that we could take, that we could do well? And get that out in front of users that they could use for you know some uh, portion of the work, and then start building on that, uh, so that it's. And I'm many of you have probably seen the example of like the skateboard and the scooter to the bicycle to the car. Not not even thinking in those terms, but more of like a a usable uh, car. And then becoming a a better car and a better car and a better car, things like that. Like it's very, very much a small portion that is good and usable in its own way and for its for what it's intended to do. And it may just be some small portion of the thing. Uh, then then we can add, you know, additional um, you know, the next piece of functionality that adds, you know, the the next part to it. So you may, you may be able to do uh, one thing and you can do that really well. And then, then you can do the next thing and you can do that really well. And then adding each of those incrementally. Um, so that is kind of our messy development and discovery process. And it is, again, if you've been in it, it is not a, a cut and dry type of thing, but it is, it can be very, very effective. And managing that is it's one of the exciting things, but it's also one of those things that you, the more experience you have in it, the better you get at it. And it's, it's part of the product management process that I say is uh, one of the more challenging things, but also the more exciting things, because there is no, um, I don't think there's any way that you can uh, you know, take a class and, and, you know, learn like, okay, here's how you manage the messiness of this. Uh, you, you, 
have to get in there and experience it and and do it and do it a lot to be able to pull all of those things together. Um, but that is, it's much more about collaboration and shared understanding than defining a document, handing that to somebody and then handing, you know, having that UX handed to engineering and things like that. If you're, if you're doing that, you need to start to get away from it and really work collaboratively and iteratively on, on some of the messiness and just enjoy, enjoy that process. So that is, that are, that is all of the questions for today. We could go on with a few more, but I think that is a good episode. So hopefully you've enjoyed it. Uh, hit, hit us up, hit me up. If you did or didn't give us the feedback, let us know. If you've got questions, send them over uh, at Kyle Larry Evans is my Twitter uh, at prod underscore by underscore design prod by design is our Twitter handle for the podcast. You can definitely follow us wherever you get your podcast, follow us on social media, and we will look forward to seeing you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find out more about us and our podcast on our website at productbydesign.co. You can also follow us on Twitter at prodbydesign. That's at prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Larry Evans. And you can also find Eva on Twitter at Yan Chow Chow. See you next time.